Well, good morning, everybody. It's so good to see you in worship on this Lord's Day. Thank you for worshiping the Lord through song, and now let's worship through the Word, shall we? If you haven't done so already, I want to invite you to take your listening outline from your worship guide, get a pen in hand, and open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Romans in the New Testament, the book of Romans chapter 12. And in just a moment, I want to share a message entitled, you'll see it on your outline, it's entitled, A Life transformed, a life transformed, what God expects after I have trusted Jesus. And as we're preparing to hear the word here in the worship center, let me say a warm, warm welcome to everyone who's in our contemporary service today. Really glad you're here this morning, as well as those of you who are joining us on TV and online. I'm really glad you're here today as well. Now, I know that before we dive into the message, I just need to acknowledge that tomorrow is Valentine's Day, is it not? And so I want to say happy Valentine's to you, everybody, and I hope you get to say you love somebody you love, and you hear that back on Valentine's Day. So happy Valentine's Day, and I also want to acknowledge today is Super Bowl Sunday, is it not? And so tonight, millions of people around the world be watching the Super Bowl, the Los Angeles Rams playing the Cincinnati Bengals, and I don't know how you feel about it, but I'm sort of conflicted about who I am pulling for in that because they both have SEC quarterbacks, you know, and I'm an SEC kind of guy, and so I like it that there's two SEC quarterbacks there, and so we always take a poll, so I'm going to take a poll again this morning. So how many of you all are pulling for the Rams? Can I see your hand for your Rams people? Okay, that's a pretty good showing. Uh, How many of you all are Bengals people? Can I see the Bengals people? Well, that's not very many. Okay. And how many of you all don't give a rip. Can I see your hand? You know the don't give a rippers win every year. I'll just tell you. And so, listen, I, I, I don't know who's going to win, but I'm going to pull for the Bengals. They have never won it, and so I'm going to pull for them, and we'll see how they come out today. Well, listen, I'm glad you're here on Super Bowl Sunday because you know what else today is? Today's the Lord's Day. And when we gather in Jesus' name to worship him through song, to gather around his word, to listen for his instruction, he has promised where two or three are gathered in his name, he'll be there. And he's here this morning ready to speak to us and shape us and mold us and transform us for our good and for his great glory. Now, why are we looking at Romans 12 today? Well, it's been a part of our chapter a day reading this last week. And if you're not in on that journey yet, you can pull out your phone right now, text the word chapter to 22828, sign up, join in with hundreds of others of us as we read the word every day. If you were here last week, you know that our teaching pastor, Pastor Justin Knowles, uh, taught us a great message from Romans chapter 7 on how we are to be related to any ongoing sin in our lives as believers. And I just want to say, if you weren't here, you didn't get to hear it, as always, just go to our website and on our website or through the Ingleside app, you can listen to any of the messages that are preached here in Ingleside on Sunday mornings. Now, if you were here last week, you sort of know the big flow of the book of Romans. Paul starts in chapter one by saying, I've got good news. 
The good news is through the gospel of Jesus Christ, you can experience a right relationship with God, not based on what you do, but based on what Jesus has done for you. And you receive that gift by faith. Doesn't matter whether you're old or young, rich or poor, red, yellow, black or white, Jew or Gentile, the gospel is for everyone. Then in the next couple of chapters, he tells us why we need the gospel. He says that all of us sin and fall short of the glory of God. We're all sinners in need of a savior. And then he really teases out how God can be just and holy, still punishing sin. He punished our sin in Jesus when he died on the cross and yet loving and merciful and offer salvation by grace to all who will receive it by faith. There's some uh, middle chapters about how we grow into Christ's likeness. And then chapters 9, 10, and 11 are about the big plan of salvation that includes both Jews and Gentiles. And then we come to chapter 12, and that's where we are today. And in chapter 12, Paul moves from, from the theological stuff so much to very practical exhortation and instruction. In other words, he says, so now if you are a Christ follower, this then is how you should live. This is what God expects of you and me, and he lays it out in some pretty practical terms. So now it's really important when we come to an exhortation section like this, that we don't mishear it. So, so may I just say it plainly? You should not hear the message this morning as, do this, do this, do this, and do this, and if you do it with all your heart and do it well, somehow you'll be acceptable to God. That's not the message of the book of Romans. Instead, it is, if by grace through faith, you receive God's gift of eternal life, not based on your own effort or striving or working, but what Jesus has done for you, then watch as an expression of your gratitude to God and your love to God for all he's done for you, do this and do this and do this and do this, all with an expression of love and gratitude to him. Do you see the difference? It's the difference between trying to climb the ladder of our own accomplishment or instead of that, just walking the path of obedience out of gratitude to God. So with that introduction, let's look at Romans chapter 12. We're going to see in these 21 verses this morning several principles that will offer some encouragement and challenge, I believe. Let's look at it. The Apostle Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. In other words, he's saying, based on all I've taught you in these first 11 chapters, I want to encourage you. I want to urge you. I want to uh, beseech you, the old King James would say. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. And he calls Jews and Gentiles, young and old, brothers, sisters in Christ, part of the family. He says, I appeal to you by the mercies of God. In other words, he's saying, I'm appealing to you based on all that God has done for you when he's shown you mercy and grace. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Verse 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So what are the principles we need to see there? Here they are. Write them in. There are three of them. Number one is this, that once we have received Christ and begun to follow him, God expects us to offer him our body and our mind. God expects me and God expects you to offer him both my body and my mind. Do you see it? The body is in verse 1. He says, I appeal to you to present or to offer your body. You know, we might have expected him to say, I appeal to you uh, to offer your life, or I appeal to you to offer your heart, or I appeal to you to offer your spirit. But he says, oh no, God wants every bit of you, including your flesh and your blood. He wants your body as well as all of the rest of you. And every day, he wants you to present your body to him as if you're offering a sacrifice. Now that sacrifice is not gonna be put to death literally like an animal sacrifice. It'll be a living sacrifice. But every day, your body is presented to God, holy, acceptable as a way of worshiping him. And then look at verse two, that's where the mind is. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewal of your mind. It just means this, that God wants every bit of us, outside and inside, body and mind, every part of us, he wants to be offered to him every day. Look at the second principle. Here it is. It is that God expects me, if I am in Christ, to be transformed. Transformed, not conformed to the world or the age, it literally says. It's in verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. One of the first times I studied through this passage in the Greek New Testament, I noticed that that word transformed was a word that has come over into our English language. In the Greek text, it's the word metamorpho-o. It comes into English as the word metamorphosis. Have you ever heard that word metamorphosis? I bet you have. I bet you encountered it somewhere maybe in science and elementary school or, or early on. It involves, you know, whenever uh, an egg is laid and then it becomes a larvae and a pupa. Instead of me explaining, just watch the screen. It's less than a minute video. Watch it if you would. How do you make a butterfly? First, a butterfly lays an egg on a plant. A caterpillar hatches out of it and gets busy eating. As it eats, it grows and molts out of its skin to get even bigger and repeats this until it is a fully grown caterpillar. It attaches itself to a plant and sheds its skin one last time to reveal its chrysalis. Inside, the tissues that made up the caterpillar rearrange to form a head and body, six legs, and four wings. Then, when its own genes and the climate indicate the time is right, out pops the butterfly. This entire cycle, from egg to caterpillar to chrysalis to butterfly, is known as metamorphosis because the animal goes through striking, distinct life stages. 
Now our butterfly will find a mate so it can start the butterfly life cycle all over again. And I just want to say, how cool is that? That a worm can become a butterfly. And I know it's not a worm, I know it's a caterpillar and I know the difference, but you get the idea that this ugly little creature, completely earthbound, goes through radical transformation until, boom, he is transformed into this majestic, beautiful butterfly, no longer earthbound, but fluttering through the sky. I just want to go, wow, that is the coolest thing ever. Now watch this. The Bible says that you and I are like that. We're dead in trespasses and sins. But God, by his grace, declares us righteous in Christ when we trust him. And then we begin this lifelong process in Christ of transformation. So from down here, day by day, we are transformed into the image of Christ. And he makes us new inside and out for our good and for his glory. I just want to go, wow, that's what I want you to do in my life, oh Lord. I want you to bring about that transformation. You know, as I was thinking about that this week, I thought about an old, old hymn I sung as a kid. Perhaps you sang this hymn somewhere along the way. It was written by uh, an old guy named Isaac Watts, oh, more than a hundred years ago. And it says, alas and did my savior bleed and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head to, and this is where it gets really interesting. Because guess what the contemporary hymnals say in that last verse? They say, alas and did my Savior bleed and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for sinners such as I? But do you know what Isaac Watts actually wrote when he wrote that? He goes, alas and did my Savior bleed and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a, do you know what it is? Worm. For such a worm as I, and I want to go, he got it right. Because we are dead in sin, like a lowly worm. But by God's grace, we can be transformed. And how does that transformation occur? It occurs by the renewal of our mind. It means it's inside out. It has to do with our thinking. And so I just want to ask a question today. What is shaping, what is sculpting your thinking most of all? Is it the music you listen to? Is it what's in your social media feed? Is it uh, the blogger that you follow regularly? Is it your favorite news channel across the spectrum? What's shaping your thinking most? Who is discipling you most? And the apostle Paul would teach us, based on the teaching of Jesus, that our minds are transformed when God by his spirit uses his word to help us put aside thoughts that are not right and true 
and embrace those that are right and true. And as our mind is changed, our very life is changed. I just want to say, if you came to church saying today, I wonder if my life could be different. I wonder if my life could be better. I wonder if my life could be more filled with the presence of God. The answer is yes. The answer is yes, that God intends for each of us to be transformed like that lowly caterpillar to become a butterfly. There's one last thing here in this first paragraph, and that is once my mind is renewed then, God expects me both to discern and to do, to discern and to do his will. Do you see it? It's in verse two that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. And when we discern his will, it'll be good, it'll be acceptable, and it'll be perfect for you and me. Well, that's the beginning place in Romans 12, but we're going to see it all the way to the end. So look at verse three. He says then, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members don't all have the same function, so we though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We all have gifts, but those gifts differ according to the grace given to us, so let us use them. If your gift is prophecy, use it in proportion to your faith. If it's service, in your serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So once Paul says, look, the Lord does not intend for you to be conformed to the world, but be transformed. He wants you to do that in the community of the church and in the body of Christ He says, write it in, number four, God expects me to think accurately about myself. It's in verse three. Did you see it there? The word think appears four times. He says, you ought not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think. And then the fourth time is behind that phrase, sober judgment. It's another word that means think. And so Paul is saying how we think about ourselves will impact all of our relationships. And he particularly warns here about a person who thinks more highly of himself than he ought to think. What do we say about people who think more highly of themselves than they ought to think? We say things like, well, uh, they're arrogant, they're proud, they're haughty, they're condescending, they're stuck up, they are aloof, they just have too high an opinion, they are puffed up. Somebody needs to puncture that balloon and bring it back down to ground, right? And the apostle Paul is saying, listen, in the body of Christ, as God is transforming you, cut that out. Just think of yourself honestly, accurately, soberly. And I believe if he were here today, you know what he might say? He might say, not only should you not think more highly of yourself, but you also ought not think more lowly of yourself. You say, well, why do you think you might say that, Pastor? Because I think the Apostle Paul might look around at our culture today and see what is going on, especially among the younger half of our population, 
where there is just an explosion of depression and anxiety and self-harm and all sorts of things that are, are maladies that are growing out of a very deflated and discouraged sense of self. Now, a lot of times there are a lot of rivers that flow into that. I don't want to uh, claim to assess them all this morning, but you know what one of them is? We look on our phones, we look at our social media, we see a highly curated, a highly orchestrated, a carefully presented presentation of the beautiful, the powerful, the rich, the influential, those who travel, those who succeed, and it's all there in glorious pictures for everybody to see. And we look at that and we go, wow, my life is pretty ordinary. I would never measure up to that. And all of a sudden, the enemy comes and says, you're right. You won't measure up. You're not worth anything. You don't have a future. God doesn't have a plan. It's not worth living. And man, all kinds of malady comes out of that. And I just want to say, if that's you today, one it might be just an idea to contemplate of turning that blasted feed off. That just might be a thing to think. But the other thing might be to say, listen, I'm going to claim again who I am in Christ. I am a person created in the image of God. And I have been redeemed by Jesus. And I belong to his family. And God has a plan for my life. And all that comparison game, I'm just not going to play it anymore. Oh, man, I hope you will hear that word today. God expects us to think accurately about ourselves. And then number five, write it in. God expects us to use our gifts for the good of others as a member of the body of Christ. Now, we've taught this principle many times, so I just don't want to spend much time here, but I just want to say thank you. Thank you that at Ingleside, hundreds and hundreds of us are using our gifts in various ways. I just want to highlight two today that are sometimes behind the scenes. People who are willing to serve beside, behind the scenes for the good of others. You know, oftentimes when I arrive at church on Sunday morning, guess who I run into? I run into the guys who are working the parking lots, who are setting up the signs, getting the shuttles running, getting the golf carts running, making sure the campus is ready so that when you get here, your way in is going to be smooth and easy, and it's because of that behind-the-scenes service. And it occurs, rain or shine, hot or cold, and I am really, really grateful for those guys. And if you don't have a place to serve, that might be a place for you. You know what else I'm grateful for? When I read this place in here, it says, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. I was just reminded this week, I heard the report where our congregational care teams, teams of people every week who reach out to those who are in the hospital or in nursing homes or in assisted living facilities or homebound or who are bereaved or had some other life tragedy. They reach out with love and care and compassion and a visit and prayer and cookies or bread or some other expression of kindness and prayer that the Lord would intervene. And it's just like a river of mercy that runs through our church family. And I want to say praise the Lord for that. 
I'm so grateful for those of you who are mercy showers. And some of you need to be involved in that too. Well, the passage is not done. Look at the next paragraph, verses 9 through 16. Now, y'all, this is going to be like a machine gun. It's going to be like staccato. It's going to be just one bullet point after the other. Are you ready? Look at it. Paul says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Patient in tribulation. Constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Just bing, 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 bing. Paul says, this is how you're to live. So how can we summarize it? Write it in. Number six, God expects me to learn to love. To love in all of its many expressions. That's what you find there. Love is authentic. Love hates evil. Love holds what is good. Love loves with brotherly affection. Love shows honor. Love is not slothful. Love is fervent in spirit. Love serves the Lord. Do you see, these are all the things that love does. And so as our lives get transformed, They become a life of rightly ordered love. Boy, that's what I'm praying for. And then the last paragraph, look at it with me, verse 17 and following. It says, and can I just say, this is probably going to be the most challenging part of the entire chapter. Paul says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And then he says, beloved, in other words, church family that I love, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. To the contrary, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So what what are we being taught here? Write it in. It's number seven. It's the last thing. It's the last takeaway today. It is that as Christ transforms my life, God expects me to reject retaliation and revenge. God expects me to reject retaliation and revenge, but instead overcome evil with good. Now, now this, is, this is tough to apply, but we can in the power of the Spirit. Let me just see if I can illustrate it this way. Have you ever been driving down the interstate, and all of a sudden this guy comes up behind you, and I mean, he's just right on your tail. He's just pushing you. And then you look in your rearview mirror and he is gesticulating wildly. And you can just see the veins popping out on his face. And when he can, he comes flying around you and then he cuts you off right in front of you like that. What do you want to do? 
I tell you what I want to do. I want to hit the gas and catch up with him and get right on his tail and say, okay, buddy, two can play this game. That's what I want to do. And then I think, no. The scripture said I should abandon and reject retaliation and revenge. Instead, I should overcome evil with good. So I just let my foot off the gas. I say, I wonder what's going on in that jerk's life. Because <laughs> something is causing him to just be filled up with anger today. And I have no idea what it is. I wonder if somebody he loves in the hospital. I wonder if somebody he loves just died. I wonder if he just lost his job. Something's going on with him. Instead of waving back at him, I'm going to I'm going to pray for him. I'm going to pray for that guy and hope that it'll be better for him. Do you see the higher standard? Now, don't get me wrong. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 13, there is a governmental and a legal system that is there to punish wrongdoers and to praise those who do good. And it's never wrong, it's never wrong for the government to do its job to protect people and punish wrongdoers. But Paul says just in your everyday ordinary life, you and I are not to take revenge and retaliation into our own hand. We're to overcome evil with God. So you go into the grocery store and you're going down looking for a parking place and you see one up there. It's only about three spots from the door. And so you're going up, you're heading that way. And anybody with eyes could tell that you are going into that parking place. And just before you pull in, what happens? Some guy comes whipping in there right in front of you and pulls in your parking place. Well, what do you do? You pull up behind him, you stop, you get out of the car, you bang on his car, he gets out and you say, oh, I think I've seen you at church, haven't I? <laughs> now, that's not what you do. You go, man, that wasn't very, that wasn't good what that guy just did. But you know, I'm pretty healthy. I got a little margin. I bet some other people need the up-close spaces. And so you just sort of circle around and you go to the farthest parking place. You pull in it and then you walk in and you say, Lord, help me live at a different level. In other words, the scripture is saying, when somebody dings you, kill them with kindness. Focus on the kindness part. Not the kill them part. <laughs> kill them with kindness. Don't you see? Followers of Jesus in the trenches of life are to be different kind of people transformed by his grace. Why? Because God has taken some worms and making them into butterflies for his great glory. Will you let him do that in your life? That's what I want him to do in mine.
Several years ago, I was speaking in a series of meetings, and the guy who was leading the music wrote a song. I think it's called One Day Jesus. So I listened to him sing it that week. The word stuck with me. It says, one day Jesus will call my name. As the days go by, I hope I don't stay the same. I want to get so close to him that there's no real change on the day that Jesus calls my name. Do you see? He was saying, I want that transformation process to keep on happening in me so that I'm more and more like Jesus so when it's my day to meet him face to face, there won't be a big change because he's been changing me all the way along my life. That's what I'm praying for you and me. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for teaching us and challenging us. Help us live at a higher standard than the world around us. And help us live in the power of the Spirit and sculpted by the Scripture in ways that are for our good and for your great glory. And Lord, if there's a person in the room or watching on TV or online today who've never received the gift of eternal life by faith, I pray even now that they would say, oh Lord, I trust Jesus. I will follow him. Count his righteousness to my account, I pray. Lord, we love you and offer this prayer to you in Jesus' name, amen.